0: Hi, we're David Setter.
1: And Sarah Copeland.
0: And you're listening to Steady State Podcast.
2: Sit ready.
1: Here at Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in backstories, real life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. From indoor rowing to flatwater masters to coastal and ocean adventurers, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport together we disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. We're your hosts, Tara Morgan
3: and Rachel Friedman. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. This episode marks the launch of a multi-part series on heart attacks, emergency preparedness, and response. We'll hear firsthand accounts from rowers who survived heart attacks, teammates and coaches who witnessed these events, and even from widows who reflect on the surprise and sadness of losing a spouse while rowing. We've also tapped US Rowing's Director of Safeguarding, Tom Rooks for top tips that coaches, rowers, and teammates can all use when there's an emergency on the water or around the boathouse.
1: Study Safe Podcast is sponsored in part by our patrons and Concept2 and EB5 investors.
0: My name is David Setter and I learned to row at the Los Gatos Rowing Club and I rowed for a decade maybe. And then when we moved up here to Portland, I've I've rowed with uh, Willamette Rowing Club and uh, I coached juniors at LGRC. And up here, I'm the past president of the rowing club, and and now I'm just uh, seven seat.
3: And when you're not rowing, what do you do?
0: Uh, I'm a writer. Uh, Yeah, so I started writing, um, worked in the film business for 23 years or so. I had a little company down in LA, and then we moved up to uh, the Bay Area, and then my writing partner died. And so um, I've been writing by myself for, what, a decade now?
2: I'm Sarah Copeland. I learned to row a year after David did. So it was 2013, also at Los Gatos. And I started because my daughter and David had started rowing and they talked about nothing else, and it was incredibly boring. And so he gave me a learn to row for my 50th birthday. And I made all kinds of excuses about why I didn't have enough time to do this. And I was always on call. And he said, you're going to love the people that row. And that was exactly true. So I started in 2013, got totally hooked and have never stopped. And then we moved up to Portland, Oregon in 2015. So we started rowing at Willamette um, and I've been there ever since. Like David, I've served as vice president and president of the club, member at large on the board last year. And this year, I think I just get to be a regular rower, which is fantastic. I am a physician, so I'm a pediatric neurologist, work full-time here, and rowing takes up most of the rest of my time, but I do like to knit, so that's like another hobby, and then we have some dogs that we take care of, so pretty busy most of the time. Oh yeah, studying Italian, I forgot that. Ooh,
1: Are you guys going to Italy?
2: We
3: went last year. And yes, yes, we're definitely going back. Did you have the chance to row there? We did.
2: There's a a woman who runs a program where she does rowing vacations, but she also does this great little program called Row Like a Local. So they live in a town outside of Florence, and we stayed in an agriturismo there Went rowing on their lake with their local club every morning in a double, got coaching in a double, and then just got to sightsee and eat and hang out the rest of the week. And it was a fantastic experience. Would not hesitate to do that again. It lets you balance yourself out a little better. So it's some sightseeing, a little rowing, and just seeing what the world is like in a small town, which was great. I mean, it's
0: just like our, <laughs> our every day where we go down to the boathouse and you row and you meet your people and then you go and have coffee and... It was wonderful. It was awesome.
3: On a scale of one to 10, how was your past rowing
0: week? Oh my God, it was terrible. It was <laughs> awful. Showed up at the boathouse and we had to do three 1Ks in a row with a four minute rest. Yeah, that was rude.
3: Was that three by 1K? I'm very curious because my club that I rode with for many years did three by 1Ks instead of a 2K test. Yeah. So is that, is that what you're doing as well?
2: Sort of. So we've started doing interesting, a mixture of short distance testing and longer distance testing. You know, it always used to be that before spring, you do the the one Ks or two Ks. And then before fall, you do the long 20 minute pieces or five Ks or whatever. But now it's kind of mixed up and trying to make it, you know, testing and performance stuff is always so stressful, much less so as a master's rower, but still it kind of gets to you. So trying to do it more regularly. So that it becomes less of a thing. And each experience isn't the be all and end all. So we do them at different rates. So next week, we're doing a 20 minute but capped at 24 to 26. So obviously, you're not going full out. And it just gives you a chance to record your performance kind of once a month on these tests over
0: time. So we were supposed to go up to Seattle. Sarah is a uh, para rower. Classifier. Pacifier. Yeah, she was supposed to go up to Seattle last weekend to classify some athletes
3: mm-hmm. and she
0: said, well, do you want to come with me? And I said, absolutely. That sounds like fun. So we were going to go up on Saturday, drive up to Seattle, stay overnight. She was going to classify all day. I was going to go see some museums or whatever I was going to go do. And then the classification didn't got happen. Canceled. Oh.
2: So,
0: but at that same moment, it got canceled. We got a phone call that our dock had broken away and floated down the river. Rose City sent their launches out and uh, Lewis and Clark sent their launches out and they rescued the dock because it got stuck on um, one of the islands and they dragged it back home. And Sarah and I, instead of going to Seattle, drove down to Oaks Park and helped secure the dock. So we got all muddy and cold. And um, so we have no dock right now
2: the river was too high and too fast we, we can't so basically row. the rowing week was earth testing and not rowing
0: yeah so, wow that's why it was not fun <laughs> there's no fun and only work <laughs> oh, right super, super true no
3: fun in work yeah
0: super true
1: so we do this thing to help our listeners get to know our guests better and it's called the hot seat are you ready ish ish
3: so we're going to have both of you answer. For each question, we'll have David answer, then Sarah.
1: Port or starboard? Both.
3: Mostly port. Sweep or skull?
1: Both.
2: Both, but prefer sweep by a lot.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm in your camp. Uh, bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room?
0: Oh, I love the stroke seat, but I'm usually in the engine room. I don't fit in bow very well.
2: <laughs> I
3: am seven or bow. And a starboard stroked eight. Yep, those are my two spots too in an eight. Mm -hmm. All right, this is a couples edition question. If you had your choice, the two of you going out together, a pair or a double, and what would the lineup be?
0: Oh, that is funny. So when we went to Italy, we had exactly this conundrum. You know what happened is that uh, we had a lot of couples therapy over that week. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out who was going to bow and who was going to stroke was interesting. We had a few conniptions and Eliza was wonderful about helping us work out our differences. But I think we ended up, I stroked and you bowed. Is that what happened? Other way.
2: So double a hundred percent. Otherwise we go in circles, probably just given size, but I stroke and he bows. And there you have it. That's the answer.
1: (laughs) Gabby didn't stir up anything
0: there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Head race or sprint race?
0: Oh, I love them both.
2: I agree. Both. They're they're both great in their own ways. When fall comes, I'm ready for head. When spring comes, I'm ready for sprint. Unisuit or tank and trowel?
0: Oh, tank and trowel for sure. <laughs> 100%.
1: <laughs> Favorite coxswain command to give or receive?
0: Oh, well, okay. So we have customized license plates. Mine says up to and two. Sarah's says into, up to. And we have a disagreement. Sarah absolutely knows she's correct. I, on the other hand, know that everybody says up to and two. No, no,
2: no. You've got to give a warning before you get there. You
3: always, uh, yeah, okay. Well, okay, hold on. Let me, okay. So tell me again. You've got, you're up to, into. He's got up
2: to and two. I'm into up to because you need the warning before the command.
1: Especially yes. grown, especially grown adults who right. can't, so can't was pay attention.
0: Absolutely correct technically but i my license plate says what everybody says
3: (laughs) interesting
1: when i was teaching learn to row in seattle one of my rowers showed up at the boathouse with way enough as their license plate right (laughs) then two weeks later a second rower from the group showed up with into up to okay And then I showed up about a month later with Attention Row, A-T-T-N-R-O-W. So we lined up all the cars. So Attention Row, Into, Up, To, and Way and F all right next to each other. (laughs) Well, I still have that license plate. Yeah. I'm
3: still stuck on the into <laughs> into up to. And I definitely I'm sorry, I have to I have to agree with the into up to as a as someone who coxes a whole lot with the command first and then what you want them to do. I believe that
0: that's the technical answer.
3: Yeah, yes. but then I here's think he the agrees. Other, here's the other thing that I do, which is over to. So it's into up to over two. So I want yeah. you to take two strokes to build right. two. And then that so we, like, build, yeah. so we say build over, you know, into yeah. build over three to 28 or yeah. whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. We say build four or five or build yeah. four, three. Yeah. yeah.
0: Interesting. To your question, I like going fast. Up two and two or into up two. I, it's, I like to go fast. It's fun to go fast.
3: So whichever way it's
0: said, you're
3: good to go to build the stroke rating.
0: Okay, favorite place to row? I mean, I kind of like going through the cut. It's really fun to go through the cut. Opening day is just so much fun. You know, Head of the Charles is great, but opening day, have you rowed opening day? Do you know opening day?
3: I've never been. I know what it is though, but for our listeners who may not know, can you explain what it is and what the cut is?
0: So in the spring, they open up the, the lake, the waterway, so it's opening day of, of boating season and University of Washington invites other crews from all over the world to come and try and beat them. But before that, they have all the high schoolers and then the masters rowing a 2K and all of the yachts r- line up for about a kilometer and a half from the Le- Lake Washington side. And you row out of Lake Washington through the cut into Lake Union. And what's really fun is it's four boats across, but really only two or three boats can fit comfortably through the cut at a time because it narrows and it's got concrete banks. And so somebody has to give way. So it's kind of NASCAR. And when you hit the cut, there's the bridge that goes across from one bank to the other. So everybody's lining the banks and on the bridge screaming and yelling and you get through the cut. And then the marching band is there with the jumbotron and everybody's screaming and yelling. And it's the only time when rowers feel like, oh, this is what it's like to do a real sport because everybody's cheering and, and and it's really loud and it's so much fun. So they
1: say it's like rowing in a stadium because I've I've wrote in that before and there's cowbells and people are almost not quite at eye level with the rowers.
2: Yeah, but it's so, it. so loud. It's so, so loud. loud. You can't and- hear attention go because there's so much noise. You just watch the flag because you can't hear anything. Normally, you know, you go up one side, right? You you go to the start on one side, you race down the other side. This, everybody goes one after the other. And then you you end up in Portage Bay and everybody sits there. You There's can't
0: no go back to go back.
2: So everybody waits in Portage Bay and it fills up and up and up with more and more and more boats. And you're basically all maneuvering, sitting yeah. there, trying not to bump into each other, waiting for the last races. Or and you're then, just pulling your oars in and you're all just like yeah, locked together. Trying to sit there. It's hilarious. You're so close. You're all right beside each other. People bring snacks and like drinks in the boats. And then at the end, when the UW men come down and beat whoever they're going to beat that day then they release everybody to turn around and go back to the boathouse at the same time and it's just a um, it's bad you're racing like juniors you know we raced like the the holy names girls one year cuz our coxswain's holy names so she loves that and it's just it's really fun to do
1: it's just mayhem like it's it's party you have to come one year rachel yeah
2: yeah
3: sounds like you need to come and do it it
0: sounds like yeah i hope we have fun
3: And every time I talk to folks who have rowed in that area, I just think about, like, there's a fair amount of rowing here in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, but we don't have kind of that enthusiasm for like that spur of the moment, good times, yay, everybody, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. we go to regattas, we go to our practices, and I really... Just, I think this is a big pipe dream of mine that I'm going to help spearhead some super exciting <laughs> rowing and fun rowing like here in the area. There's so much opportunity for that.
4: Well, every yeah. year
0: we do Head of the Dog here and um, it's right around Halloween and it's costume race and everybody dresses up and it's kind of fun. Our guys won one year, they were dressed up as, what's his name from Toy Story, the cowboy. Woody. Woody. Woody, Woody yeah. and a cow. So yeah. the guy who was a stroke seat had to contend with his udder. He was pulling in up to his, over his udder. Um, <laughs> and they, and they <laughs> won. I don't know. I just think that kind of stuff is kind of fun.
3: Yeah. I'm yeah. just envisioning like what, um, what coaches would be calling, you know, pull higher over the udders. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, they have a... Yeah. Okay. So let's, this, let's, is supposed to be, this is supposed to be hot seat, which is like quick, quick, quick. So sorry, sorry, point, sorry. I love that. I love that this conversation. We do have a couple more
0: questions. Okay, go. Hot seat.
1: okay. Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received.
0: Well, the best piece of rowing advice I got was from my cardiologist who said, if you never want to have another co- uh, heart attack, never stop rowing.
3: Hmm. Yes, sad. we'll definitely talk about that. Sarah, what about you? Best piece of rowing advice?
2: I remember a specific person telling me a specific thing, but the most accurate thing I ever heard was, do this because you're going to love the people who do it. That's what David said when he gave me a learn to row and could not have been more accurate. And that's the thing that has kept me rowing for almost 11 years is I love the kind of people that choose to row.
3: Okay. One more question. Um last question the most important coffee before or after a row
0: oh after before <laughs> but the reason i drink the coffee after is because before rowing i drink my yerba mate i drink my tea early and then my coffee's my nice relaxy i deserve this cuz i did the work already thing yeah it's a little treat I yeah getcha.
2: I don't do anything without coffee first. Is that oh, a leftover?
1: No. A leftover maybe from medical school and medical training? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely. Yeah, like absolutely. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for playing our hot seat game. We all know you a little bit better now. We want to dig into uh, your rowing stories. Um, we've touched on a few things, but we're curious if you could tell us what was going on in your lives when you found rowing.
0: Oh well, that's an that's an easy one. For Sarah's work, we were moving from LA to Saratoga. And while we were looking for a house, uh, we stopped at a little cafe to, to get lunch. And I bent over to wash my hands and I herniated a disc just oh. from bending over. I didn't actually herniate, I just got a disc bulge, but it was terrible. And the move was awful. I mean, trying to pack and trying to move boxes with a horrible, it was there, terrible. But I got to Saratoga and I decided I was fat and out of shape, and I needed to get into good shape because I we used to run marathons, and I I had gotten so big that I couldn't run anymore. So I decided that I needed to lose some weight and get in better shape. So I went to the Y, and I spent a lot of time at the Y, and I I swam three miles every other day, and I lifted every month I. Got the prize for lifting the most weight in the gym or whatever. Anyway, very motivated to get into better shape. And one day I was leaving and I met a friend who was standing in line for this class. And I said, What are you doing? And she said, I'm going to rowing. I'm going to go to this rowing class. And I said, Oh, have fun with that. I've got a bad back and I can't do that. But then my phone rang and I had a meeting canceled. So I had this extra hour that I didn't know I was going to have. So I thought, well, I'll go into the rowing class with her because she says it's really fun. And what's the worst thing that happens? I don't like it. And I get off the erg and I, and I leave like, that's the worst. Mm -hmm. I got to the end of the class and oh my God, I had so much fun. Like so much fun. Mm -hmm. And the woman laughed at me and she said, well, you should come back tomorrow morning. If you thought that er erging was fun, you need to come back. So the next morning was the first day of summer vacation for our kids And so Saturday morning, I went into my daughter's bedroom and I took the covers off of her bed. And I said, get your butt out of bed. We're going to the gym. And she said, I'm a teenager. I need my sleep. Leave me alone. And I said, no, get your ass out of bed. We're going to the Y. So I took her to the class and she was giving the stink eye at the back of this erging class. And the woman who taught the class had been bow seat in, I think it was UC San Diego. San Diego State. San Diego State. And so got to the end and Kat said to me, oh, my God, that was so much fun. And the woman said, if you think erging is fun, you should try it on the water. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, this isn't the sport. This is how you train for the sport. The sport is on the water. And I said, how do you do that? And she said, so she gave us a URL and she said, go look this up. And the Los Gatos Rowing Club was having their first juniors learn to row the next morning. So I signed Kat up. I took her up to the boathouse. I said, go have fun. I went and picked her up at noon, and she came to the car bouncing. She's like, oh, my God, Dad, do you know what happened today? I met an 85-year-old lady who was carrying her own single down to the water, and then she went and wrote, and she was so fast, Dad. She was way faster than we were. Oh, my God, do you understand? I could be doing this for the rest of my life. You have to understand that Kat now studies gerontology, and she loves old people.
1: Yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so Kat, I drove her up to the boathouse for the next month, every day, sat there waiting for her to come out of the boathouse because she would like was having so much fun with her friends. And I noticed a little poster that said, Adult Learn to Row. And so I signed myself up for Adult Learn to Row. And it was the most fun that I've ever had.
3: Did you think that day one was more fun than the fun that you had on the ERG the first time?
0: I mean it's happily they teach adults well they've got a barge so it was it was fine like you know it was a barge you didn't
2: flip the first day right but
0: it's like sarah said like i my my novice boat was such a nice great bunch of people like peru's from india and baman was from pakistan and bobber bobber was from pakistan and bomber was from iran and and Mihai was from Czechoslovakia and <laughs> I'm Canadian and like we had this entire boat of really interesting people we had so much fun yeah i don't know on the water is way more fun than or in the erg
3: and then sarah you came into it a little bit later after david and your daughter sound like maybe they're pestering you a little bit like hey give it a try so they just
2: you know how it is when you're a novice I don't know if everyone's like this, but it's easy to become obsessed, right? That's all you think about. That's all you talk about. That's all you want to think about. When's my next practice? When's my next class? So they talked about it a lot. And our son and I were not involved in rowing, except I was erging at the gym. So I started doing that erg workout class, which I thought was a lot of fun and great exercise. And then David signed me up and I was, so we'd moved up North. I was now an attending, which means I wasn't in training anymore. And I wasn't a fellow anymore. I was actually of working a regular job. It was super busy. I did a lot of call, had to be at work early. So it was a matter of finding a way to make it work. And I thought that was going to be really tough. But in the end, it was so much fun. And I bonded with the group of people that I learned with, especially this group of women that started together in novice year. We became really close. We rode some successful eights and fours as novices raced quite a bit. And I'm still close to all the people that I started with. And it a really good bonding experience. I'd never done a team sport. That was the other thing. I'd done a lot of individual sports. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be the person that let the team down, right? I was always worried in a team sport that I was going to not be fast enough or not be whatever enough. And in rowing, it's the ultimate team sport, right? It's not just you, it's everybody. You know, if you put your best in, you're part of the team. And it turned out that I love team sports more than anything. And I had no idea until I was so I started when I was 50. It was a 50th birthday present. I love that.
1: Steady State podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Daydreaming of new lakes, rivers and coastlines to row and play on? Consider a home in Maine. The Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by AXP Realty, can help you find your home away from home or relocate to a new primary home with ease. Connect with the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com and scheduling an obligation-free buying consultation. Maine, it's the way life should be.
3: On the last episode, we talked with Elizabeth Gilmore about her meteoric rise from indoor rowing newbie to indoor rowing champion and world record holder and head of the Charles course record breaker. And it all started with getting on the urn to rehab a running injury. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, could you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. In two, we're back with David Setter
1: and Sarah Copeland. That's one, two. We're talking to you two in particular today, first, because you're awesome. And second, because David, you had something happen a few years ago, and we're talking today about heart attack responses and health. So we wanted to talk to you all about what happened and what's happened since. So David, do you want to tell us the story?
0: So Sarah and I decided we needed to get stronger. So we uh, started going to the gym and lifting and we had a personal trainer. So we were at the gym doing circuits. And we had just finished doing battle ropes. And then I got super winded, like inordinately tired. And Sarah looked at me and she said, like, what, what, what's going on? And I said, well, I just feel like crap. Like, and so she said, go sit down. So I went and sat down and um, she went and did another circuit. And it really pissed me off that she, I hate it when she beats me. And so uh, she does it a lot. <laughs> so but the but she went and did another circuit and I was watching her do this, but I was feeling like crap. And she finished the next circuit and she came back and she said, Are you feeling better? And I said, No, I'm actually feeling worse. Mm-hmm. And she said, You need to lie down on the ground, put your feet up. And I guess she probably knew what was going on at that time, but I didn't know what was going on at that time. She went over to the trainers and she said, Okay, where's your AED? And They said, oh, our AED is down the hall, down two flights of stairs, behind the elevator. And she said, okay, give me your phone. And so um, they gave her the phone and she dialed 911.
2: Well, and I said, where's your first aid kit? Get me the aspirin. And they got the first aid kit and there was no aspirin in it. Mm. Like, you guys, you've got to be
3: kidding me. You have to be prepared. This is an interesting part of the discussion as well. We'll talk about this some more. Yeah.
0: I just Mm -hmm. felt like crap. Mm -hmm. And Sarah obviously has more training, so she knew what was going on or had an inkling. So anyway, she dialed 911 and happily, they were there within five minutes. And they pulled up my shirt and they stuck the leads on my chest. And they said, okay, we're taking them to the hospital. So I was in the back of the ambulance and the EMT was feeding me nitroglycerin and Asking me what my pain level was. And I said, Well, I'm about a six. And he looked just a little surprised at me and goes, You're a six. And I know from whatever that, you know, zero is I'm not feeling anything and 10 is like you can't talk. And he said, What are you talking about? You're having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And I said, Well, I'm at about the 1500 meter mark of a 2K. I literally
2: i literally like. said
0: these words to him in the back of the end i said i'm at the yeah. 1500 mark of a 2k i hurt like hell but i'm gonna make it like when people don't have never had a heart attack like they what like what is that like and literally that's what it's like you have you personally have driven yourself to a point where like you're anaerobic your heart is not producing enough oxygen for your brain and your muscles and you're going off of whatever lack lactate or whatever you're going off of your brain is shutting down you're blacking out that's what a heart attack felt like like my my chest was super super tight I couldn't breathe I couldn't get enough oxygen in but I felt like well I felt this before I'm I've made it before I'm gonna make it this time they passed straight by the the emergency room and they took me straight up to the cath lab into the stent place and I watched it and it was actually really cool. So they put this the the lead in through my arm and I could feel it going up my arm up by and then across my chest and I could feel it going in my heart. And then the person said, "Okay, we're there, doctor. We're ready." And he said, "Okay, go." And they flushed whatever they put the magic drano in and all of a sudden I could breathe. It was awesome everything just cleared up my chest relaxed and everything was great so then I knew I was going to survive they took me up into the recovery wing whatever and I was sitting there and they said like the nurse came by and said well how are you doing and I said I'm fine and she said well is there anything you want and I said yeah I want to go for a run can't go for a run you're not allowed so I was lying in bed and then my friend who is a cardiac surgeon at OHSU was walked down the ward to see his patients after surgery. And he walked past my room and he did a double take. And he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I just had a heart attack. And he said, you did not. We had been at the dog park the day before chatting. All kinds of HIPAA violations. He ran across and he looked at the computer and he opened up my file and he came back and he said, okay, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna be fine. I looked at the scans, I looked at the video, I read the notes, you're gonna be fine. And I said, well, that's good. That's nice for you to tell me that. Do you want to go have dinner next week?
1: (laughs) Making plans already.
0: (laughs) So then I um, had to go to cardiac rehab for, I don't know, six weeks or whatever. They released me. And that was kind of silly because they were making me walk on the treadmill at half a mile an hour. And I was like, I was erging two days ago. This is crazy.
1: You know, there are definitely... I don't know if I want to call it judgments made, but when some medical incident happens to someone, everybody sort of puts their spin on it and they say, well, so strange that he had a heart attack because he's healthy and tall and athletic and active, but it's not as unlikely for someone who doesn't look the part. And that's actually what we're finding out with, finding out with rowers having heart attacks is that the perception is that they're doing all the things right from genetics, to food, to lifestyle, to stress management. And in fact, that's not usually true. You've usually got one factor against you somewhere in there, right? Either your history.
0: And, and what what was yours? Well, so I asked my cardiologist when I went to that first meeting with him, he was asking me this story as well. And I told him I was a rower. He said, Oh, great, because I was a rower in college, too. So he knew what I was doing. He knew what it's like. And that's when he gave me the advice that if you never want to have another heart attack, just keep rowing. But I said, did I do this to myself? Cause Sarah and I, you know, we wanted to lose weight. We were doing all the things we were doing all the exercise. We had changed our diet. And one of the things we'd done was we were trying to be a little more keto. So we were eating less pasta and less bread and all that stuff. And we lost weight and that was great. So I thought, Oh, I did this to me myself, like I'm eating too much red meat and I'm eating too many eggs. I'm drinking too much cream in my coffee. And like, I totally did this to myself. And the cardiologist showed me the scan and he said, no, you didn't do this to yourself. Like you've only been doing that for a couple of months. And I had a 99.8% occlusion of my LAD. such as the one that feeds the whole front side of the heart. He said, this has been coming for a long time. Mm. So I said, well, if I didn't do it to myself, what was it? And he said, "You have bad genetics." It's genetics. And everybody in my my dad died at fifty nine. My uncle died at sixty. My grandfather died at sixty one. My aunt, other aunt, had a heart attack in her fifties. We all died. My and so I would meet people. They would say, "Oh, you're you know you're you're so funny or whatever," and I would say, "Oh, you should enjoy me while you've got me." And they say, "What are you talking about?" I said, well, I am in my deep old age right now. I am 55. I'm going to die soon. Like in the next five years, I'm going to die. (laughs) They go, they would laugh and they say, no, no, no. You're so, you're such good shape. You're going to live till 93. And I'm like, no, no, I have an expiration date and I'm going to die within the next five years. (laughs) And I would say to Sarah, like, I hope your next husband is really tall and good looking (laughs) and and really rich. And he takes you
1: all over Europe. And a starboard, right? (laughs)
0: because I want you to have this really nice life and I'm going to be dead.
3: Aww.
0: And So yeah, my cardiologist said, no, you, you just, you have really crappy genes and you couldn't do anything about it. He said, the one thing we could have done for you that didn't happen was we could have done, was it cardiac calcium? like
2: Coronary calcium study. Yeah.
0: The so mm-hmm. one thing we could have done. You would have
2: seen it coming.
0: You would have seen it uh, soon. Yeah. I, you know,
1: I've been wondering that lately because, you know, we're all told to go get our mammography and go get our colonoscopy. And why isn't there a heart study that's sort of part of turning 50, for instance, I went and did a um, carotid artery uh, scan and ultrasound of my carotid artery, because there's some theories and some science that says if you check the condition of your carotid arteries, it's an indicator of how your heart is looking and your other arteries might be looking because the buildup you know, and and I
2: was invasive than a, than a CT or a pet or something. Yeah.
1: Super non-invasive, like a little ultrasound jelly and like, you know, that kind of thing, super easy to do. And they actually went to a diagnostic vascular diagnostic place that made it very affordable and they just were all about prevention. And it was, it was really nice, but I just always wondered why it's not part of the workup, you know, when you're turned 50 and you start having to get these checkups, like just seems like a, a no brainer to me. Mm
2: -hmm. It's all, and this is my medical side, it's all a trade-off between risk, cost, benefit. And so if the incidence in the population or the risk is high enough, then you do screening. And there's always um, ongoing studies about whether that screening is really worth it, whether it pays off. You've heard this happen with like breast self-exam and is it worth it? Does it show you enough? Or PSA for prostate cancer in men, is it actually worth it to do that. So this is it's ongoing with every condition is, you know, what's it, what's it worth and what's the individual cost to the patient in terms of risk and, you know, invasiveness and what is the societal cost to doing those tests on everybody. So it's always a a calculus.
1: Sarah, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, you're there at the gym and you guys are doing your workout. What was that like for you?
2: Well, I mean, Dave and I have known each other since we were 16. So I know his whole family history. Even though I didn't think he was going to die before 60, I did know that this was something that could potentially happen. And I also know him well, and he doesn't stop in the middle of exercise, does not. So the fact that he said, I don't feel well and was willing to stop was not a good thing. And so briefly had him lie down. And then once he felt worse, I, I just knew that this is probably what it was. And even if it wasn't, you're never going to make a mistake by saying, oh, I'm worried about this thing. Let's check it out. So once they didn't have any equipment available for me to be able to do anything in that situation, I mean, 911's the correct answer anyway, even if they did have it, but he was awake and talking and fully conscious in the middle of this. So I was really confident, maybe incorrectly. So, because I'm no cardiologist, but I was really confident he was going to be fine. So when they said, do you want to go in the ambulance with him, I actually said, no, I, I'm going to take the car, I'm going to drive behind you guys, so that I have myself and the car and ways to manage. And by the time I followed them up parked across the street and got to the ER, they had bypassed the ER completely and gone straight up to the cath lab, like David said. So they just took me up there and probably 20 minutes later, the guy came out and said, yep, it's all done. You know, the stunts in and everything looks fine. And then I had five minutes to like call my kids and tell them what was going on. Cause in the middle of it, you know, I didn't do that, but also no panic because I think in medicine, you can't be a panicker. It's unhelpful and actually prevents you from doing what you need to do in that moment.
3: So sounds like best results really, uh, you know, came, came out of this. And, And I'm really happy to hear that. And, you know, David, you were talking about still being in the hospital saying like, I'm ready to go, but you know, realistically, were there challenges for you to get back into rowing or just plain old decide to start rowing again?
0: So, you know, when I, when I did my back, right, my mom had a bad back and when I did my back, I just decided that, Surgery and all these other things were not really what I wanted to do, and I decided to do it myself. So that's when I decided I needed to do a lot of core workout and stuff so that my core would support my back and I would take the load off of my back. I'm a real DIY kind of person, but the thing about that was when I did my back and I rehabbed myself, and then years later, I I did my rotator cuff like all active men my age do their rotator cuff, you know, I had it repaired. I trusted my back. I did not trust my shoulder. So my back, I did it myself and I knew what I could do because every single day I was doing a little more than I'd done the day before. And I knew exactly what my limit was. And so I trusted myself. When I did my shoulder, somebody else did that for me. And I didn't know how much strain it could take and all that stuff. I babied my shoulder a lot more than I babied my back. Similarly, with my heart, I needed to know what I could do, how fast I could do, whatever. So not that long after I'd had my heart attack, and I got a phone call from my cardiologist who said, okay, you're cleared for exercise. And I went and pulled 500 meters as fast as I could. If you buy a used car, you take it out on the highway and see what it can do. You don't go putter around the neighborhood and just like, no. No. I needed to know how much I could take. If I could do that, if I could go balls to the wall for five, for 500 meters and see what it would do. Like, worst thing that can happen is I have another heart attack and <laughs> I'm already one. So anyway, I did that and I could trust it. So I went, got back in the boat and I think the big test was the day I met you, Tara. I think that was my big test at Cascadia. So now we're like, a month and a half, two months out from my heart attack. I'd been cleared for exercise and Bill Bird asked me if I wanted to row a pair with him at Cascadia. And I said, yes, because if Bill Bird asks if you want to be in his boat, you say
1: yes. 100%.
0: So I went to the race course that morning first thing and I helped rig the boats for Seize the Oar. And I was sitting there talking to this nice person that I just met. And she waved over her my shoulder and she said, hey, Charlie. And he was talking to somebody and I heard this guy and he said, I just had a heart attack. And I turned around and I went, I just had a heart attack.
1: Yeah, that's why I wanted you guys to meet. I was like, he just had a big heart attack. You just had one and you guys should talk. Perfect <laughs> bonding. That's Perfect.
0: exactly <laughs> it. I said, well, what heart attack did you have? And I said, I had the big one. I had the Widowmaker. And I said, oh. I had the Widowmaker too. And he said, Yeah, but I had a 95% occlusion of my LAD. And I said, I had a 99.8% occlusion of my LAD. And this is goes,
1: Charlie Hamlin, by the way, who is Charlie president Hamlin. of the National Rowing Foundation and a very accomplished rower.
0: Yeah, he's an Olympian. So this is how I met Charlie, is because Tara introduced us. So he says, "Well, I actually died on the water and they rowed my body back to shore mm-hmm. and then they resuscitated me and I went, okay, you, you win. win." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: Well, so I, I don't yeah. I have a question because I've heard the term widowmaker several times, but I'm not sure I actually 100% understand what that is. What makes it different than other heart attacks? Can you explain that briefly? So I am also not a cardiologist, but in general, I'm assuming
2: it just means outcomes are typically not great.
0: So so what the way <laughs> my cardiologist okay. explained it to me is he said, so this is the thing that I want to talk to you guys about, the big vessel that feeds the whole front side of your heart.
2: Left anterior descending artery. Okay,
0: there you go. <laughs> it was 99.8% occluded. So wow. okay, it was mostly closed. There was hardly anything going through it. And yet I was erging and rowing as hard as I could. And the reason things turned out the way they did is because my cardiologist showed me my scan. And what had happened was over time, because there was nothing feeding the front side of my heart, all my vessels had grown down around from the backside and around to the front side. So I had all these
2: collaterals. you, You grow collaterals to feed things because they require feeding and our body has these factors that make that happen.
0: And so I had the widow maker in that something broke off and fully closed the opening. And so the front side of my heart wasn't getting any oxygen, which is what I'm telling you about the feeling of when you go anaerobic and you don't have enough oxygen because that's what was going on. But because I had all these Collaterals that had grown down around the bottom and up the front of my heart, I actually didn't have any muscle death. Hmm. So my heart didn't suffer any injury. I had onset of symptoms, and 45 minutes later, I had a stent in place. Yeah. So I had 45 minutes or less than 45 minutes where the front side of my heart theoretically wasn't getting fed, but it was still getting fed by all of these collaterals. So my heart was beating and oxygen was getting to the muscle and so i actually didn't die and my muscle didn't die whereas charlie charlie's he had his heart attack while he was on the water and they had to row him back to shore and then then he got his medical attention and whereas sarah called immediately and i started getting medical attention within 5 minutes of having my heart attack so the widowmaker so- is as far as i know when your great big vessel dies or gets occluded, your heart isn't getting any any oxygen at all. And then it die, the muscle dies.
2: So don't stop rowing.
1: You said before the heart attack, you were the kind of guy that just like went as hard as she could. Are you faster now?
0: It's interesting. I've been actually paying a lot of attention lately. When we talked about our week and doing the three 1Ks back-to-back Because Bill had his heart attacks and I had my heart attack, and we have a number of people in our club, like yesterday when we were doing the 1Ks, one of our guys went into AFib during the first piece. So he got off the ERG and he stopped. Wow. We had another guy there who was doing the pieces. He also is a cardiac patient. He had something that's even scarier than what I had. But we're really mindful of heart health.
3: Do you think that the, your club and coaches are also mindful of that? Do you feel that there are emergency plans? Our, our place? safety
0: yeah. officer in our club is John Rudolph, who's an ex-cardiologist. He's a retired
3: cardiologist.
0: Oh,
2: perfect. We have to watch videos. He's the one that always makes sure that the AED is, like, ready to go and we know what to do. And
0: I mean, we've had people die on the water. We mm-hmm. have boats named after people who died on the dock. Mm-hmm. I think we are pretty safety conscious. We try really hard to pay attention to that. And so when you ask me, am I faster now or not? What I was going to say is we've paid a lot of attention to the numbers and the decline in speed in men, especially between age 50 and 60 is the biggest difference. Like it goes up, 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 and then it plateaus and then it starts to decline. And that's when it actually starts to decline 50 to 60. And 55 is kind of it, where it really starts to go down. And so I was actually kind of pleased yesterday when I looked at my averages, my split averages. And I said to myself, I will be happy if I have an average of like 152. Because a few years ago, before my heart attack, I kind of think that that's kind of the neighborhood where I was. So we did it yesterday, and I was 151. Mm-hmm. I was a second faster than I wanted to be, or I thought I was going to be. I'm sad that I'm not as fast as I was when I was 50. When I was 50, I was rowing for an hour and a half every other day. And then I was going on a two hour run. And then I was lifting every other day. And then alternate days, I was swimming three miles. So I was in pretty good shape. Like I used to steady state at about a 155. I'm not that, I'm not that guy anymore.
3: I think we can all say that probably about yeah.
0: ourselves, right? And, yeah. so, and so the thing about it is, there's a lot of factors about that. It is not just my heart. There's a lot of mental things about how much time and effort I want to put into something. That how much pleasure am I getting out of it? And I have been really trying to row, to enjoy rowing. I've been trying to not row scared. Mm -hmm. I have been working really hard personally on not worrying whether I lose my seat in the boat or not, whether somebody younger and stronger and bigger that comes along. And I've been trying really hard to row because I like to row and row as hard as I row because I like to row that hard. I don't like losing. I like to win like gold medals are fun. And I get just as much pleasure beating the other boat on a Saturday morning on the Willamette river with no hardware at stake. I'm competitive. We all are. But on the other hand, I'm trying really hard to not row scared. I don't want to stop rowing because my cardiologist told me if I stop rowing, I'm going to die. Hmm. Right? So, so I need to keep rowing or do something that's as beneficial to my heart as that is. And I don't think there is anything. I don't think there is.
3: You put your finger on it, Was is, You know, I think a lot of us hit a point where there's burnout with rowing and you need to determine why you're still doing it and making sure that you're enjoying it, that you're having fun. Right. The F word. We don't use that a whole lot with rowing, but that's got to be the driver that's got to get you to the boathouse.
0: Well, right. And it's the people like COVID. We bought this new house and I built a gym so that we can work out here. And I don't have to go to the boathouse if I don't want to go to the boathouse. But like last weekend, I didn't go to the boathouse. I just sat here at, at home by myself and I urged at home. Sarah and Kat, our daughter, went to the boathouse. I had a lot of whatever it is. Like I regretted not going to the boat. House.
1: You had FOMO.
0: Like, where the hell's is David? And Sarah's like, he's at home where it's warm and he's drinking his coffee. And I wish after the fact that I had gone to the boathouse and been cold and hadn't had my coffee just to see the people.
1: So we're really curious, what's ahead for you guys this year?
0: Well, we want to go back to Italy, whether we will or not, we don't know, but we would like to go back to Italy. So you said you're going to talk to Bill. He's a very big inspiration for me. When we showed up at Willamette, we were not very good rowers. (laughs) not at
1: all there is Sarah is shaking her head emphatically for our listeners at home
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah we were not very good rowers and one of it Bill in particular took us in and he's one of the most generous people and he sat down next to me or I sat down next to him and he showed me he didn't tell me he showed me how to row he showed me how to compete I mean, he's just the epitome of generosity. I want to be like Bill in that Bill and Jam, they go row all over the world. They go to worlds and they win gold. The first time I went ahead of the Charles with Bill, we were out in the basin. And it was kind of like, must, must be like to be part of, I don't know, Taylor Swift's posse or something. And Bill was in Stroke Seat and we're rowing around the basin. And literally every other boat was like, hey, Bill. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Bill. Haven't seen you since wherever. Oh, Bob, so nice to see you. Like, we haven't been in, like, Bill knows everybody. And he's rowed all over the world. And so for me personally, I always say I want to be Bill Burt. And I want to go and row. Like, I really like rowing with Willamette. And I love competing with Willamette. But last, Tale of the Lake, I wasn't going to row at Tale of the Lake. And then Bill got a phone call from Corvallis and that one other people had gotten COVID and they needed somebody to sit in. So Bill came to me and he said, would you, Corvallis is looking for an, someone to row. And I told them, I got a guy who can row both both sides and we'll sit anywhere in the boat. And they said, okay, we'll take him. So I went and wrote in there four and I went and wrote in there mixed eight. You go sit in a boat, you got no nothing to lose and everything to gain. And you meet new people and you have a lot of fun. And that's all I want to do this from now, like this year, that's what I'm looking forward to is doing more of that.
1: I love that. You had a rowing awakening, Um, you know, (laughs) Sarah, what about you? Uh, Any big plans for the year for your rowing?
2: I usually compete a lot. I like to race and I like to be in different boats. We used to be a really um, skewed towards the older side And now we've added a lot of younger members, which is really fantastic and like great for the health and the future of the club and really fun to expand as I'm getting a little bit older. It's interesting to think about how I will fit into different boats because it's really hard to shoehorn yourself into a B when you're now a G Um, Mm. it's, you know, and if, if that's what the age skews toward, then thinking about what my next 10 years in rowing going to be like which kind of boats I want to be in which skills. I I don't love sculling the way I love sweep, but it's really important to be able to do it. So pushing myself to be more willing to compete in sculling, um, which I don't do a lot, but the more I do it, the better it'll be just figuring out how things are going to shape up over the next 10 years. I've always been, you know, hammer it in the sweep boat, but maybe it's time for just a little expansion. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I'm thinking. Well, this has been so much
1: fun. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your telling us what happened there and, and how you got into rowing and why you love it.
2: You bet. Thanks for having us. All right, you guys. Are
1: right,
3: you thinking? Have a Take great care. day. Bye. Bye,
0: see you guys. Soon.
3: Bye. Because there's always more to learn about safety and preparedness, we tapped Tom Rooks, U.S. Rowing's Director of Safeguarding, for top tips that coaches, rowers and teammates can use when there's an emergency on the water or around the boathouse.
4: Hi, I'm Tom Brooks, the Director of Safeguarding for the United States Rowing Association. Here are my top tips for how to respond to a heart attack on land at your boathouse. In that scenario, time is everything. Survivability is all about time. So our first step, assuming the scene is safe because it's our boathouse and we're already there, is to call for help. If it's not going to be you that makes the call, make sure whoever makes that call reports back to you get your boathouse's AED, have someone go fetch it. If the person can still give consent, get consent to care, monitor their vitals in accordance with the the Red Cross's first aid and CPR protocols. If CPR is required, begin CPR in accordance with the standards, but get the AED on them as soon as possible. When EMS gets there, make sure that your boathouse has a clear path for EMS to show up and to transport the person out. The quicker we get them to help, the more likely they survive. If you find yourself in a situation with someone who's having a medical event and requires CPR, and your certification is lapsed, or you're untrained, or for whatever reason you're uncomfortable in that situation, find someone who is qualified, get them to render CPR, assist them wherever you can. This time of year is perfect to make sure that all the things we have that involve the safety of those we care about at our boathouse is ready to go for the oncoming spring season. Check your first aid kit. Make sure it hasn't been robbed due to all those blisters you had in the fall. Check the batteries on your AED. Make sure your life jackets haven't been resting in water all winter and are not rotten. Also, this is a great time of year to make sure all of your coaching staff and encourage all the members of your organization to get their Red Cross first aid, CPR, and AED qualification. The work you do now can make you have a safer spring and a better experience for everyone at your team. Thanks for all you do to make our sports safer. Row safe out there.
3: To see photos of David and Sarah and get links to the people, clubs, resources, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Thanks to our
1: patrons, whose support helps make this podcast possible. Join our team for as little as $5 a month at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Rowsource, providing creative design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Get the design help you need at RowSource.com.
3: Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast.
1: Right. We should tell them definitely about Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat. We talk about rowing, racing, and technique and deep dive into things like inclusion and leadership.
3: So we hope you'll join us Friday mornings at 8 a.m. West, 11 East, live on Instagram. Grab your favorite mug and be a part of the conversation.
1: And sometimes we all need buddies to help us get through long workouts on the ERG. So we lead City state Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. Join us on the third Sunday of the month until March.
3: When you sign up for this free 60 minute virtual ERG workout, we provide cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. Register at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Sunday,
1: And join us for our very first book club event. We'll delve into questions about lessons in chemistry, like just how tall was Calvin? Why did Elizabeth and Calvin row a pair instead of a
3: double? And more. This event will be one day before we interview author Bonnie Garmus for Steady State Podcast. Bring your questions for Bonnie, and we'll be sure to pass them along. Register at studystatenetworkcom slash book club.
1: This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan.
3: And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator.
1: Rachel manages our website, social media, and e-newsletter. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. In Two, Way Enough. That's one, two. Did I ever tell you the story of the guy who got me thinking about all this the very first time was when I started coaching in 2010. We were talking about water emergencies or whatever or something like that in a safety training. And they were like, oh, well, then there was So-and-so, I can't remember his name, but he was the mayor of Mercer Island, Washington. Anyway, he had a heart attack on the water, didn't say a word,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: left practice, and drove himself to the hospital. What? Like, he knew something had happened, and he didn't want to say anything. So it actually begged the conversation of, did you know that in choking incidents, most people die in the bathroom because they're embarrassed, and Mm -hmm. they don't ask for help, and they leave. Mm -hmm. So you have to factor that in that. So one of the things I pledged to in my learn to row was a real open door policy about how you're feeling physically. And like, if you're not feeling well that day, or you are worried about something or something's feeling tricky. The other thing that happened was uh, we got off the water and this class I'd had for like five weeks, you know, and the guy was like, Kind of crawling out of the boat instead of getting out like everybody, and he goes, "Oh, I don't have any cartilage in my knee." And I was like, "Why didn't you bring that up?" Right. The other worst one I told you about was the woman having an asthma attack on the water. It didn't Mm -hmm. have her inhaler. Didn't have her inhaler with her. Mm -hmm. Didn't even have it in the car. Drove herself to the ER. It was in the hospital days. I was like, Mm -hmm. "So, we tried to make a real open door policy about if you're not feeling well, like if there's something." Grown-ups are terrible. We
3: think think that we can just push through things, and and we're like, you know, I don't feel so hot, but I think I can do this. And then, also, if we think about like the culture of rowing, where we say we don't want to let our teammates down, right? Oh, well, this piece is just another two minutes. I can push through it, but in the meantime, I'm having a heart attack.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I remember... My chiropractor in Seattle, he was a national team rower. His wife was Olympian, Anna Anna Cummins. And I remember saying to him, why are there so many rowers in here? And he said, because there's a culture of suffering. Mm-hmm. Because there's a culture of pushing past a limit. And you can't stop. And it's kind of why I love what Bobby's doing out in Spokane, of like, anyone can call Way Enough. And which is very challenging to our our system. And I'm kind of looking forward to getting to coach that maybe in some way and just giving a lot of grace and forgiveness around learning. And I mean, I always do with Learn to Row, but like, what about masters who've been doing it forever who are just like, something doesn't feel right?
3: Yeah, I mean, you would would hope that if something's really not feeling good and that could be, you know, that could be, man, my shoulder feels weird. My elbow's not good. My asthma's acting up. You would hope that we'd all step up at some point and raise our hands and just say, hey coach, hey Cox, and like, I don't feel well, I cannot continue. And I think that happens at the most extremes, but there are times where all of us probably have been in a boat where we shouldn't have been in a boat and we've pushed, we've pushed through things.